This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thanks, Disembodied Hot Girl Voice. This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I am Ernie. And I am Robert. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. How times have changed. Yeah, I, yes, unfortunately, not for the better for the most part. So let, so let me. <laughs> I mean, we we should do a recap of where we are at in the world and the timeline for our loyal listeners. Yes, because I think it's been we've we've tried. Uh, I wouldn't say the word desperately, but I'd, we we've tried in the last few episodes at least our very darndest to try to avoid reality at all costs. Yes, we've made it very much non-topical to a, the larger extent. We've had a new bit that we've a new section uh, that we've added in to try and keep things light and fluffy but yeah we haven't really given us given anybody a a, a time stamp if you will you know so you want right. you want to you want to start that that fun that phone road down insanity oh yes let's let's take <laughs> let's take a nice little trip shall we before so, after the innocents died <laughs> so once we all thought, you know, a couple of weeks, not a big mm-hmm. deal. Now it's indefinite. We're we are basically in quarantine, probably going to the next level of quarantine. Um, just getting alerts now that if you're going to a public place, you have to wear a mask. Yes. And 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 just to, to add to the oddness of life, we um, my my mother-in-law and my wife are actually were for the last week sewing masks. I do have my own hand-sewn heavy-duty mask to wear, so I do have one, just in case. Just in case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is bananas. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I am not a healthcare professional <laughs> nor an expert in anything of this type of um, level event. <laughs> um, I just think this is bizarre. I it, just think this is straight out of the movies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, completely. It's completely gone past the point of a, this is entertaining. This is amusing. It's it's past that point. It's no longer yeah. entertaining, nor is it amusing. Um, just trying to cling to Sandy. I literally have been out of the house, like out of the house at all, maybe three, four times in the last three weeks, maybe. Oh, gosh. Like, I would literally. say in the last three weeks, I – I have let's just put it this way. The last time I left my place was to drop my daughter off with her mother and vice versa. Went to go pick her up and then drop her off. So literally those are the only times I've left. That's insane. Yeah, I went to get a Starbucks or sorry, a Dunkin drive-through and that was the biggest event. That was literally the biggest thing. It's been insane. And the yeah, sad I part. I haven't even gone to any of those places. Like, since this whole thing has gone down, I haven't mm. been to any restaurants. I haven't been through any drive throughs. Um, I've gone to the store twice because the previous times I went, I kind of stocked up in advance. Sure. Um, so now I, I'm still like, I probably won't have to go probably for another week and a half. That's good. That's good. Because in a week and a half, of course, as you know, the whole thing will be over and we'll be fine again, you know. Right? Yeah. Right, Ernie? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the other part is is that like, you know, for a long time I treated my house as just where I kept my stuff. 
I never really spent that much time inside my place really? because I have a long commute to work. Sure. You know, so I stay at work for a lot of hours during the day. Then at night, it's just basically get something to eat, probably watch a little bit of TV, and then I'm asleep again. Right. Like probably on the weekends, I'm usually out. You're, like you're as I'll out go, as you can. Yeah, you go yeah. anywhere you can. <laughs> just to get away, whether it be the beach, a walk, something. Mm-hmm. But lately, like, I can appreciate where I live. Like, I treat my I, – I pretty much am treating this like, let me get used to, like, this being my home and treating it like a home as mm-hmm. opposed to just a place where my stuff is. Right. You're starting to uh, truly – understand that your walls being as undecorated as they are is kind of <laughs> driving you slowly insane i'm assuming well i mean yeah i, I see the <laughs> i see the home improvement stuff like and that's and that's the other part right like legitimately they i could be doing like you know home improvement stuff and things like mm-hmm. that but the the problem i see with that is that once i start doing stuff like that i'll i know i don't have all the stuff right you're going to say, oh, crap, I don't have X, Y, Z. I can't finish it. So it's going to just half-laid and half-finished projects all over the place. Exactly. So I'd yeah. rather do it all the way through. Of course. Finish it. Finish whatever you start. Yeah. Uh, well, for, for me, it's been interesting because I spend – I have almost the same commute you do, and it is just you know grab food at, at home because we usually cook, and I spend a few hours watching TV, and that's it. So it's very similar for me, but recently – one of the things that we've done is um, – well, mostly the misses I didn't really do it. But the misses rearranged the whole uh, living room area, which is kind of our main living space, and you know made this huge empty spot right in the middle. So it has all the stuff it had, but it has this big table uh, spot where we're going to be able to put a table in and play games and so forth when this is all over, if that ever happens. right? So it's a complete rearrange, and I have my little office set up for my work-at-home stuff, and – it's very nice to have all the things right at my fingertips. The biggest problem I'm having with everything going on is – so I'm sitting a lot of the day because you know my yeah. job is a sit-down job. But I sat down at my old job too, so it wasn't that's not a big deal. But what I'm finding is here is the chair is so awful that I'm actually standing up and having to walk around more just to keep my butt from hurting all day. So I'm actually moving around the house more, which is kind of weird, and I'm having to get used to – being here all the time, which is also very strange. Because even on the weekends, you know, a, a weekend in like is crazy for us. Like no chores, no shopping, no nothing. It's kind of crazy, uh, very very rare. But now that we're doing it, it's like I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. It feels very I, strange to me. I agree. I agree. It is very strange because, um, you know, it's not like I have much to do besides work. Once work is done, and I close everything up it's like i hit the uh you know the streaming platforms or mm-hmm. um in the refrigerator you know mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's, no i mean yeah. i mean I, I got to a point where um <laughs> it's kind of a joke that i heard like now my refrigerator is saying what do you want now <laughs> like, <laughs> good that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and it's 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 interesting here because there are obviously the biggest difference that the two of us face is, or for the, between the two of us is that I have a lot more people in my household, so I can still be social to a certain small extent, um, and not have to worry about you know catching or transmitting or sharing or whatever. 
Um, so that is helpful to have other people around. So I couldn't imagine being in your position where you literally have no one. And for me, the other part of it is like you talked about Mia. Like you had your daughter this past weekend. I haven't had my kids in three, four weeks now. I haven't been able to visit with them. But what's interesting is that we're now FaceTiming all the time. Yeah. So I get to actually see them, like even talk to them more now than I used to even when I did see them. You know, okay, yeah, we'd have I'd have a weekend with them, but nine times out of ten it was either with one of them or the other because one was busy with something and couldn't come by. Now they have less of a schedule. Now I'm able to talk to them more. So that's kind of an interesting little twist. And you know, my son was yesterday. He was like, you know, we should make this more of a regular thing. And I was like, I would love to be able to FaceTime with you guys more. But you and I both know that you guys have, if you really get back to your true schedules. You know, you're going to have practices and, and sports and homework and, you know, a couple of hours and that's it at night to do whatever you want. And that's all, you know. So it's kind of a yes, I'd love it to be that way. But that's just not the way it's, it's going to be when things get back to normal, if they ever really get back to normal, which I think is an interesting topic we should we should kind of look at. What is that new normal going to look like, do you think, Oof. after this is all done? Very good question. Very good question. Because <sighs> I saw an interesting post to kind of let your brain juices simmer for a second. Uh, the other day was like, you know, life has always been made up of, you know, we make our life about work and then trying to get home. And now that we're home and everything's home-centered, can we keep that feeling? Can we keep that where home is the center and work is not? of our lives after this is over or will we not learn a lesson that home, being home centered is actually better for us and get back to the usual forgetfulness of that people tend to have and just, Oh, well work is everything and we don't need to be home. You know, will we be able to keep this kind of new shift in what we think is the most important thing? Yeah. I would say that's been the biggest change for me is like you said, the being home. Mm-hmm. Actually being able to enjoy Yeah, being your- home first. Like, basically, I think over the past, like, 20, 20 plus years, we become a society where we're kind of, like, not centered around home anymore. Right. I'm right. not saying everyone. I'm just saying, like, it seems like that's the way things have been going. Like, we've, we've been basically on the move. Like, we, right. we have to be able to... Like before, in order to get your news, you had to be home, right? Mm-hmm. Now you don't need that anymore. Before, you had to be home for your dinner. Not anymore. You mm-hmm. can pretty much, you know, find some place to eat at any hour of any day. Mm-hmm. Um, phone calls. You ha- you know, unless you stopped at the payphone, you know, if someone wanted to reach you, you had to be home. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's that's completely the, the, the case. And I've also felt, too, even on top of that, uh, connections between people. Like we're becoming more positively social uh, creatures in that we use online now to talk to others because we're so desperate for contact with other people versus just you know perusing Facebook. We're actually – I mean I reached out to a college roommate that I haven't talked to since I was in college, and we talked for a good 45 minutes about just our lives, what was going on. I mean, I haven't talked to the guy in ages. He's a great guy. We just you lose track of people, you know? Right. And it's like I've been in contact with people almost every every other day, and it's like, what was I doing before? 
I didn't talk to these people, even like my dad and my grandmother. I mean, your family too. I knew you talked to your family a lot more than I did in general, but now I'm talking to my grandmother every other day and my dad every other day. Just check in, make sure they're still sane, you know? So it kind of kind of opens your eyes to, you know, am I not keeping people informed of my life and checking in on them and seeing how they're doing in their life enough? And then this kind of puts that perspective back on probably not and maybe you should do that after this ends as well and setting up the time for that the priorities for that yeah because um before i never took much um well i got i hate to say took it took it for granted but it was like you know for me the routine was you know just to check in with my folks once a day see how they're doing maybe i'll swing by you know maybe stay for like dinner or something like that on the weekend, same thing. You know, if I wasn't busy doing stuff or had anything planned, I would swing by, have Sunday dinner with them, you know, just to keep, you know, the family, you know, ties strong, right? Mm -hmm. now, there's not a big, long gap between things, you know? And, um, like, now with this change, it's like, um, you know, having to do the FaceTime thing, it's, it's very different for me uh, because now, because... And, and the whole social distancing thing, and particularly because their age, I'm mm -hmm. concerned with with actually like getting this because right. they're more susceptible to getting it than I am. Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and that that is always a concern with 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 I mean, my grandmother too. I mean, she has a she has a few health issues, nothing too serious, but you know, she's not a she's not a young lady, and he, she is totally in that 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 age range, right? right. Um, and that that. That does worry, and I have a lot of immunocompromised folks that I'm living with, and you know, people tell issues, and it's just something that I'm really concerned about getting sick, and you know, not seeing people who might have it or people who've been contact. I mean, it's just it is crazy, and I mean, and that's just, it's not to be scary, but it's to be kind of just more conscious and aware of these types of things than ever before, and I think post this this pandemic, you know, are we going to be able to be comfortable enough to get back to real life if you yeah will. i'm i'm kind of curious to see what that's going to be like i mean is it going to be a point of like we're going to keep doing this and you'll see less people on the roads you know less people like in parks and things like that like before and more people would be uh staying at home or is it going to be the opposite is it going to be like okay it's finally over you know floodgates open everyone's using their vacation time and they're just like living it up right mm -hmm. yeah like i'm wondering yeah. i'm wondering which which way to go because i think it would only be in the extremes yeah oh no and that's aren't we always about the extremes i mean <laughs> yeah you know i mean will we get so sick of being home after this is over that we never go home again and people become more work hungry and being out more and everybody will just start congregating to all these social events more than ever I mean, because you got to think about it too. The other part of this is, like, from a business perspective, a lot of businesses are looking at this model and saying, you know what? We don't need to own a physical building. We could do this job remote and not have to pay rent and then maybe rent out a building once a month or once every couple of months just for parties or whatever or just for group meetings, and that's it. We can do this all remote. Why do we need a physical building? Look at retail. You could you could be to a point where you could close those doors and just everyone live off of just having their stuff shipped. Oh yeah, I mean, I, 
again, clothing, I still hesitate because things the, – the trying of things on. But if a return policy is easy enough, then it won't really even matter. Yeah, if they, if they basically say, hey, look, if you put it on and it's not fitting right, put it back in the box. You know, go to your – you know, stick this label on the outside of it, and someone will come and pick it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's all it, it really is, right? Yeah. I mean so you kind of see where the world could go much more remote. I mean it's forcing a lot of people that were talking, yeah, at some point we'll go remote. At some point we'll upgrade our technology. At some point we'll become more tech savvy. And it's forcing them to go, look, you either become tech savvy or your business will close its doors. Well, that's the one thing – that's the one thing I, I was reading up on because with, with this increased time you know, being at home, one of the things I've done is read up on a lot of like technology. Mm-hmm. And and I want to ask you and I want to ask our our listening audience what everyone knows about 5G. Hmm. 5G. So 5G is the next gen of phone network, right? It's like ah, the next no, generation. It's not just phone network. Really? It's it's the next generation of wireless networking. Ah, so everything, not just phones, just all, all of networking combined. So basically connectivity and, and, and if you will, to use an old antiquated term, kind of the internet, but if not really. Right, because before we equated everything to cell phones. Mm-hmm. Well, well, 5G is basically for everything now. Everything could be connected, right? To mm. the point where you no longer need to have the device on you to be connected. Uh, and I. I think the point I, and the part of the article was like, yeah, you know, what do what do people really know about 5G? Right. Like you said, it's for the next phones. Right. It's going to be better for phones. Not so much. Right. Because when you're making a call on your phone, it's basically using the same frequencies. Right. Digital yeah. frequencies. That doesn't change. But mm-hmm. like but they said, well, with 5G, you, you'll be able to like download things on your portable devices at like broadband speeds hmm. well that was the selling point right but then there's sure. more to it how about face recognition hmm. right let, yeah and, and let's and, and let's just and we go to and, and i hate to do this but use china as the model they were the first ones to roll out 5g right yeah mm-hmm. and in china i think it's like for every person, there's like 3,000 cameras. That's insane. Yeah. So you you basically can walk in anywhere. The network knows who you are, and you could basically you know, purchase something electronically without actually doing anything in the transaction. Wow. Like, uh, uh, I, and the story goes was uh, they uh, – one of the American uh, consulates um, had a, like one of those interns, and he had an iPad. And over there, you could rent a bike. Okay, you take a picture of the QR code on the bike. You it, it verifies who you are and where you're at because it does all the you know the the, the GPS syncing, mm-hmm. and then charges you a fee for like the time that you have your bike. And then when you're done with the bike, you just leave it and it locks itself. Right? You basically say, "I'm done." And then the lock, and then it locks itself electronically. Wow. That's crazy. Um, the person actually left their iPad in the basket of the bike, and when they contacted the company, 
they were able, using the 5G network, to find out where it was and who had it. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Could you imagine a world where you didn't even need the device anymore? Like, essentially, you are being tracked in this network of 5G. Like, everything is being tracked. What you buy, what you're doing, what you're watching, everything. That's pretty crazy. I mean, that's that, I mean, that's literally the dystopian future that everybody is saying, you know, Big Brother watching. Well, now it's not a joke or a conspiracy by the nuts with, you know, that say it's all aliens. It's like legit possible. Right. And, I mean, I mean, how smart would that be for retailers to be able to do that and not have to have stores? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean well, or do kind of what the the uh, Amazon tried to do, um, where it had the shopping center, where it had a grocery store and it had yeah. like one employee in the whole place. Yeah. Like you pick it up, you scan it, you pay for it, you're done, you're good. Hey, I have to say, I do like the um, ordering ahead and picking up. Yes, that is very nice, especially for food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had to get some stuff from um when all this was going down i did the whole like let me just you know pick it up at my local store and sure. literally i i drove up they saw when i arrived they sent you know they gave me a little text message um and then i re responded back to it i i parked at a special spot as soon as i got there this person came walking up and was like hey are you an esther rosario I'm like yeah showed him my phone he did the little scan here's your stuff and i was gone yeah it's 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 way the teacher. The problem with a lot of it, though, here's the other cha the challenge, the dark side of it, if you will, that people have to start thinking about with this is security's concerns. Because you're talking facial recognition, right? Right. What if you what if you have a twin? What if someone has surgery or something that made themselves look like you? Mm, so you're saying someone would go through the trouble of getting plastic surgery? Ah, but you know what? Mm. I think I think you would be able to tell. Would you? You think the system yeah. would tell? I think the system would tell. Because mm. even with the face recognition now on on you know most Apple products, it maps out your face. Yeah. So it's pretty precise. Yeah, it's pretty precise. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it comes to pass and what because there's always got to be a way to hack the system, right? There always is. There's always a there security. Always will be. Yeah. Right. So there'll always be that guy. I mean, hell, you know, just go to um, go back to Mission Impossible. You no, know, with the face masks. Yeah. You know, you know, it's it's the big reveal from uh, Scooby Doo. You know, they, nobody is who they say they are. Well, I mean, you know, well, if you think go to fictional movies and cartoons, you know, it's pretty far fetched. But I'm just saying, it's out there. Well, I mean, it was like the same premise, like, uh, you know, uh, PC platforms, they, they're okay with using open source software. And Apple iOS products were like, no, we don't want open source software, so that way you don't have all this garbage happening with your system getting hacked or getting viruses. Right. And somebody, like, basically said, and I don't know, maybe kind of spread it out that nobody hacks Apple you know, nobody likes to, you know, Apple's kind of unhackable. Nobody would want to, that type of stuff. And some guy was like, you know what? I'm tired of them saying that. I'm just going to put a little bit of effort and I'm going to do it. And he did. Mm -hmm. He proved it. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. If I, if somebody wants to get to your network bad enough, they're going to get to it. Well, yeah. And the other thing that they talked about was the real reason that Apple didn't get hacked as much is because less people use it in general. So right. if you want to go fishing in a pond versus fishing in the ocean, well, then go use a Mac, and you go fish in that little pond. Maybe higher-end users, 
but there's a lot less of them, and they're a lot more able to be focused on where and what's happening. Mac, yeah, they're, they're all over the fucking world. Pardon my French, and you know. <laughs> I swore on the show. God help us all. Um, <laughs> but you know, you can't you can't get away from a hack, and they're everywhere. So yeah, they're going to be easy to hack. It's you know, fishing in the ocean. You're going to catch something. Maybe not what you want, but you're going to catch something. I mean, we've all had identity theft in some form or other. So it's out there. The risk is there. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, you know what? Come to think about this conversation, I wonder what the mm. good doctor would say about it. Yes, that is true, and um, I want to let our fans know that we are going to continue doing um, lots of fun stuff with the good doctor going forward. So he will, we will have lots of little episodes with him. So hang tight, guys. We're going to do a short commercial break first because we got to get paid for the, you know, all the all the monies, all the podcast monies, all that podcast money, all those podcast monies, and then we will come right back after and give you a nice little wrap up and hope that you enjoy. The Moment with the Doctor. Now we'll be right back. And now, sports analysis of fictional characters with Dr. Jason Von Steins. All right. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, this is so much fun. Um, today I wanted to talk about um, one of my favorite characters of all time um, from my favorite book series of all time and and one of the most successful um uh, TV TV series of, of all time, really great TV series. Um, I'm talking about the character Jon Snow uh, from the book A Song of Ice and Fire and from the hit TV show uh, Game of Thrones. Um, so Jon, he's one of my uh, favorite characters of all time. Uh, just to give a little bit of a personal anecdote uh, or, or a little bit of my personal experience, I think why why I like Jon so much and why so many people like John so much because he's he's sort of a favorite from the the show and from the book um, is because I think a lot of people either relate or want to relate to the story of somebody who on one hand has tons of privilege and he you know he lives in a castle or he grew up in a castle and um, he's training with all these like cool skill sets and all that stuff, but then also he's he's both he's both sort of already a hero and he's also an underdog. Where um, you know, yes, he lives in a castle, and also he's a bastard, and also he you know he's the runt of the pack. People uh, don't expect him to do great things. Um, so there, there's that dichotomy that I think a lot of people can you know see themselves in and they want to they, they you know they want to imagine themselves coming from like a great legacy but then there's also the underdog story so that that people really really enjoy so i think that's probably why i like john so much and that's why a lot of people uh like john so much and uh, today i'm mainly going to talk about john from uh, the show and then John from the book is very similar, but you get to know more of like what he's thinking, which gives you a lot more nuance. I'm mainly going to be talking about John from the book. And uh, one of the things that makes John so great is that he's constantly learning, at least maybe at least especially in season one and then all the way up to like. I don't remember exactly, but maybe season four or something like that. He's constantly learning from mentors 
even enemies, people who don't like him and try to kill him. He's still learning from them. When you first see John in the very first episode, uh, you're first introduced to him because Bran, the youngest child in the family, uh, needs to um, see his his dad, Ned Stark, the leader of the Stark household, execute, uh, you know, uh, uh, a runaway, a deserter from the Night's Watch. And Ned, the dad, says that Bran needs to to watch because he's old enough. He's he's almost a man grown now. And and right after hearing this news, Lady Stark, you know, John's stepmom, looks over at John and just glares at him. Even though John's got nothing to do with it, she just glares at him. And that's sort of the story of John's childhood. He's not doing anything wrong. He's only doing the things that he's supposed to be doing. And his stepmom just hates him, just blames him for everything. Somehow it's John's fault that Bran needs to watch this execution, even though Bran's just a little boy. Somehow just everything that seems to happen is is John's fault, just because John's a bastard. Because you know, as far as as far as we know at that point, John is um, you know the product of Ned having an affair while he was away at war, and Lady Stark just holds that against him with an intense rage that never really dies down. So John is held to this this really high standard. He has, you know, if you know the story, if you know the show, uh, Ned is sort of, you know, loved by all. Um, he's considered like the perfect dad in some ways, or or just like a really respectable, really you know, do the right thing, honorable man. And then so that's that's John's dad that's who he's trying to live up to be and then he has lady stark who just hates him no matter what so he's trying to be perfect and he will never be perfect he will never be you know accepted by his mother figure and and, you know that kind of thing so so that's where john is coming from you know throughout his life um and uh, i think most people would probably crumble under that situation but John somehow finds a way to thrive and to be very good and um, a, and a, a very good at what he does. He's very capable. And he finally leaves to join the Night's Watch. Um, if you don't know the show, that's sort of like this. Uh, they're like they're the watchers. They protect the realm from. Uh, from a, from different tribes called wildlings, as well as you know, theoretically they they protect the realm from um, you know monsters and and giants and spooky things. So John goes off to uh, to join uh, the Night's Watch, and during this time he's learning all kinds of really important lessons. Uh, so one of the first really important lessons. Winter is coming. Uh, so if you know the show, you know um, what that's all about. That's that's the saying of the the House family. Uh, that's sort of like their catchphrase. That's their motto. And the point is, like, no matter what, winter always comes. Um, so times are good now. Uh, lean times, tough times will come eventually. Winter is coming. So you have to be prepared. So John grew up with that ingrained in him. Winter is coming. Um, one of the last things that um, John 
hears from Ned ever, like as as John is leaving to join the Night's Watch, he hears, "You may not have my name, but you have my blood." So John Snow is indicative of being a bastard. That means he's not a, a legitimate child who was born through you know marriage. Um, so he doesn't get to have the name Stark. Um, like the rest of his family, um, he has the name Snow, so everybody sees him and, and and knows his name, and they all know that he's a bastard. But Ned says, you know, you don't have my name, but you have my blood. So so what does that mean? That means lots of different things. But as far as the psychology, it means you know John is a Stark. John holds all of those values that the Starks hold, like. Um, the values of the North, if you know uh, the show, like the North people, especially, especially the Starks, they value um, character, good, strong character. They value doing what's right and what's honorable. They value loyalty. Um, they value honesty, things like that. All those, all those good, you know, like if you're, if you're, if you're watching a story, it's all the, all the, all the good guy values. So, so actually, let me let me take a break a little bit right now because I've been talking. So, so far, is anything coming to mind? Like as I'm talking about John's lessons and and his history and that kind of thing. Yeah, go ahead, Ari. Oh, I, I thought, I thought you were going to say something. That's why I was like pointing at you because I saw you kind of lean in. So I, I like, leaned in. Well, okay, all right. So he, here's my thoughts because John's an interesting character because you got to kind of figure it. You put it into that sports context. You got to kind of mm-hmm. figure what first off two things. Mm-hmm. He's got that mother-father thing going on. So what does that represent? And then what sport um, is he going to be able to play? Like, what sport is he in? So, right. because when you look at John, he has this kind of, he goes, I mean, like for you, Ernie, like, if he's going to the team that's, you know, out on the outskirts that nobody really respects. Like, it's the team you go to get farmed on that nobody really cares about. And then it ends up becoming the most important team in the sport. So I'm trying to ref- figure out where that kind of fits. Because mm. he's definitely a team player, but in some respects he's also kind of a lone shark out there on his own. He's kind of like almost like – what was that guy's name? The guy who had all the tattoos in the basketball. Um, Rodman? Rodman. He's kind of mm-hmm. almost the Rodman in a sense where he has the right values, but he just irritates everybody just by his existence. And how he looks and becomes himself. So maybe basketball, but I'm not sure. What do you think, Ray? That's a good one, man. I have to say, Rodman's Rodman's pretty close because I was thinking of somebody. Uh, all right, so two two kind of based on what the good doctor was saying, there were two sports figures that came to mind. The first one that came to mind is Ronaldo. Mm. This is this is a guy that basically he's from Brazil, but yet he doesn't really identify with Brazil because he basically left his home country and played in Spain for like arguably like the New York Yankees of like uh, of soccer, which is Real Madrid. Right. Mm. All right. So he went there and gets globally hated, but he is like the highest paid athlete in the world. All right. Mm-hmm. No, everywhere he goes, he's recognized. And the mm-hmm. thing is that he, with that also comes universal kind of hatred. Right. But when he go when he goes. To your team, though, because he's since left and he's with Juventus now, um, which is another juggernaut. Um, mm-hmm. 
he, they love him. They embrace him. They're like, yeah, we hated him, but since he's with us, kind of love him. It kind of also reminds me of someone that's here in the United States, which is a sport that only the United States cares about, is professional football, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Like, essentially, oh, wow. you know, he has this long history, right? And everyone hates him because of allegations, things they've heard. You know, he didn't come into the spotlight with a lot of, like, fanfare. He kind of came out of nowhere, and he had to prove himself against all these odds, basically playing with nobodies. There's no superstars on his team, um, but yet he's winning these championships. And some people are kind of saying, well, that's kind of, like, unfair, so we kind of hate you for that. You know, so there's a lot of that hatred. And, and when you start talking about Jon Snow, about the whole hatred that he was getting from his stepmother – kind of holding him like accountable and stuff like that. It's kind of like I pictured that as like the purest fans in both of those sports looking at those two individuals and saying, this guy didn't have to like, you know, struggle. He was already like great. Like we could see the qualities of greatness. It's just, you know, he doesn't have the prominence, you know, of, of coming from this elite like family, so to speak. And uh, he has to embark on the hero's journey and I thought he did well. Now keep in mind, I did watch I did watch all all of GOT and everything except and I'm one of those guys. Everything except for the last season was magical. I think they, yeah. I think they totally phoned it in for those last two because I think they were already working on the Mandalorian. That's my theory, and we, I've said this before on this on this podcast. But yeah, that last season, I kind of felt like for Jon Snow, like is that really what I wanted for him to start over from the beginning again? Like right. he ended up doing the hero's journey and ended up right back at the beginning again. So I kind of felt like John as a character got shortchanged in this show. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they probably all the characters in the show got uh, shortchanged in that last season. Um, I've seen a pie chart and then of course it's just a joke. It's not accurate, but 50% of the pie chart says she's my queen and then the other 50 percent says i don't want it and that's, <laughs> that's supposed to be like 100 percent of john's dialogue yeah, uh, yeah. In, in the last season yeah the last season was a bummer uh, i had really high hopes for it you know it was so good leading up to that the second to the last season uh, it had some hits and misses but it was still good but in my opinion but then that last season there uh, there was some stuff that i liked in it but overall I was like ooh yeah this is this is not as good um but as far as like what sport john would play uh you both bring up some really cool interesting uh points um and i think well if we just if we're looking at John, the character and his abilities, oh man, he is—he could probably excel at most sports because he—he he is really athletic. He is, you know, he's—he's—he's um, he's, he's really um, uh, good with his like his footwork, his movement. He's really fast. He's really strong. Um, he's on the smaller side. Um, so then, uh, right away for me, I think MMA. Um, I th- and then also fencing. I mean, we see from the show that he's really good at fencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the characters, uh, Ramsey Bolton, even says, you know, I've heard that, you know, according to the stories I've heard, you're unbeatable. Um, nobody could kill you. No, you know, that kind of thing. Because John's such a good uh, swordsman, a good fencer. Uh, so those are the sports that he's actually good at in in the show. And then also thinking about. Um, 
uh, other sports. Just for me, I think of maybe I think of maybe football, and I think at least right now I'm thinking maybe like a running back who who just like kind of like sees the hole and just goes for it no matter what, just always moving forward, even though you know he's on the smaller side, even though um, maybe at times it's not the smartest strategy to use, but he's just like he has a mission in mind and that he's he's just going for it and then also somehow making it work so on the outside it seems like it's probably not smart and you know john you know nothing but then if you actually watch oh actually he's he has a really strong support system of guys who are super loyal to him and have his back and and he's earned that like he's not they're not just loyal to him for no reason he's earned their loyalty and then they're all working with him and they're all somehow achieving the impossible um, so just at the top of my mind those are some of that's some of the the sport or how he would fit in the sports for me yeah i was thinking because like with ronaldo and uh, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. if you talk to any of their other players, which no one could ever name any of the other players on his teams, um, mm-hmm. you just know the top two guys, they all say the same thing. Like he, like he, it just his presence alone gives mm-hmm. us like an edge, right? right? Like we're always in this. We, we, as long as he's there, we're always, we're always in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. And John, oh, one, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so we know what he's what he's like and his abilities, but where, because he's so headstrong in some ways and mm-hmm. kind of knows what he wants, would that be kind of where we'd have to start working with him, or would you, well, you, us, and we're now our team, oh, yeah. so we're all working together. <laughs> but where would you start working with him to get him to that next level? Because I mean, that's something that John really kind of has to deal mm-hmm. with is he has to find his place. And that's kind of what some of these people we're talking about have to do, too. I mean, hell, you could even go uh, Bo Jackson. Stop. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he played a little bit of everything, but he never really, I mean, as much as everybody dislikes season eight, that we kind of get the feeling that I got here. But is this really what I want? Is this really who I want to be? I mean, you think that as a character, if even if you ignore season eight, that's kind of what John's been struggling for is, is his, not to be too cornball, but to find his home the place where he belongs in a sport in that team yeah all these people are loyal to me that's great but am i loyal to them excellent excellent point yeah um yeah and actually that like you said that is one of the really big themes throughout his his whole story yeah so so when i think about uh what are his best performances like when does he achieve the impossible it's when he knows that he has a certain mission that must succeed and and he and not just you know it's not just because he just wants to have that outcome like win a super bowl or something like that it's you know i need to do this for the good of the realm for the good of my family on the other side of the wall for the good of my brothers of the night's watch you know when he really um sees that this mission must be accomplished for all the things that he values um that's when he achieves the impossible. Uh, when you know, like a hundred thousand wildlings sieged uh, Castle Black, somehow he was able to rally the brothers of the Night's Watch together and then fight them off. Uh, and he made really tough decisions, basically sacrificing one of his best friends. Um, 
uh, not Pip, Grin, Grin, ordering Grin to uh, to stop a giant from entering the castle at all costs. Yeah. So he knows right. he's going to die. You know, uh, when he uh, was uh, fighting or when he when he was going up against uh, Ramsey Bolton uh, at the Battle of the Bastards, he knew they were outnumbered. He knew they were likely going to lose. But damn it, we need to win this battle. So there's a few different situations just like that where he achieves the impossible. Um, and when he does that, it's because he has no conflict. So he's kind of like Kylo Ren in a sense, uh, where uh, Kylo yeah. Ren was uh, not in his deeds, but in, but in his, his internal conflict. So with both of them, they often have a lot of internal conflict, and that's when they kind of hem and haw and, oh, I don't want it. She's she's my queen, and, you know, they're indecisive. But when they do know what, what they need to do to move forward, and they fully commit themselves to it because it's in alignment with their values, it's in alignment with the type of person they want to be, the type of world they want to have, that's when they're able to just achieve just uh, amazing things. Mm. So it has to be a strong value-based decision for them. So for you to get him to be more consistent in it, because, again, I don't think it's a matter that he doesn't have a skill. Right. It almost it comes down to a will issue, right? Because it's not so much that he can't perform it at a high level. It's that he has to have the right motivation in the scenarios that may not have the world end at it to be able to be motivated to do the greatness. You know what I'm saying? It's like right. the situation is meh. I don't need to really want to worry about it, so I'm not going to do my best, even though he may not consciously be aware of that right he might right. be trying his best but it, realistically he doesn't have that little extra whatever it is because the world's not a, not going to end tomorrow so he's not performing at his biggest or his best in every scenario right right yeah so uh there's a, a thing called ambivalence um that's when you have really mixed feelings um a lot of times the goal that people want to achieve the most in the world also scares them uh it would come with a lot of downsides if they achieved it like if they had the success that they if they achieved the success that they've been wanting, they could be isolated, they could lose their friends, um, their family could, you know, think that that he that that person's too good now and has sold them out or something like that. So a, a lot of times people end up, you know, maybe taking one step forward, one step back and just kind of um uh, just kind of stalling out in their goals because they haven't worked through that ambivalence. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes the um, you know you will lose a lot of friends if you start achieving your goals more. And then sometimes it's not true. And sometimes it's just you know fear of judgment, fear of failure, fear of of trying and then finding out oh it's if this is a lot harder than I thought and you know uh, maybe I'm not good enough and just needing to grapple with those feelings um, so if I were working with John then uh, yeah he has all the skill sets he's amazing under pressure he's a, an amazing athlete all that stuff but we would want to get really clear on his values really figure out like where's this ambivalence coming from like why you know like, if you were the leader of the realm or you know sitting on the iron throne wouldn't the wouldn't the kingdom be so much happier like wouldn't you be a good leader wouldn't wouldn't uh, you know a, 
uh, assuming that he would be a good leader. I, I think he would like he's amazing as a battle commander. Maybe not so much as a politician, but, but he is somebody that you could trust. That you could he would figure out who could who would make good decisions, and he would take advice from them. Um, so he he would be a good leader. So what are all, what are the downsides, and and why are you resisting this? Uh, and so we would really want to work through that. And sometimes John is amazing at doing value-driven behavior, like we talked about. And then sometimes he might just um, not realize that his actions aren't lining up with his values. You know, he might make decisions that, um, let's see, just, and I'm, I'm mainly thinking of him like as a politician, like one of the things that we saw in like the second or third to last seasons was that he's great at um, giving orders to soldiers, but then when he needs to, you know, make a speech to a bunch of political leaders, you know, he's not necessarily inspiring. He's more about giving commands. He's more about um, giving inspiring speeches right before a battle. But as far as like, you know, talking to somebody, listening to their needs, hearing them out, and then saying, shaking their hand and saying, here's what I'm going to do for you. You know, like he's not, he's not great at that stuff, but he, he probably values you know, his citizens being cared for and having all the food they need and being safe. So wouldn't doing those things line up with his values? So I would want to work with him on, on that stuff and figuring out how these areas that he's not so comfortable with um, can line up with his values and what are the specific actions that he should do to, you know, to live those values as a politician or in any other area of his life. Did, all right, did, er, er, I was going to say, Ernie, last one goes to you. So uh, make it a good one. Yeah, just, uh, just touching on that, do you think like there's like a sense of like narcissism, or is it like a little bit of bipolar with Jon Snow? Hmm. Well, in the Game of Thrones, pretty much everybody is narcissistic to a degree. Uh, some people <laughs> way more than others. <laughs> so if we're using the Game of Thrones scale, then John is definitely like way on the low end of narcissism. Okay. Uh, and and there is sort of like a so a, a couple points about that. There's like a normal healthy narcissism that most like pretty much everybody has, and that you kind of slowly grow out of as you get older. Uh, so for example, when you're a little kid, when John was a little kid, he probably thought like, oh, I'm the fastest boy in the world, you know, because he beat maybe he beat five other boys in a in a foot race or something. So there's that kind of normal healthy sense of narcissism that you just slowly grow out of as you meet more and more people and have more experiences. Um, so, and then, and it would be kind of weird if you were a little kid and you thought, oh, actually I'm kind of average and in a lot of areas I'm below average. So that, that would be kind of unhealthy and weird. But, uh, but then there's also kind of a different sense. There's also a different type of narcissism that uh, we don't normally hear about or talk about where, you know, instead of thinking somebody is, instead of somebody thinking of themselves as, um, you know, uh, like amazing and unstoppable and the greatest person ever, they 
still see themselves as the center of the universe, but more as like, oh, everybody hates me. I'm the worst. Nothing I can do is right. And it, that doesn't normally appear. Like you don't think of that as narcissism, but they're still putting themselves as in control of everything because they're to blame for everything. Everybody hates them. Everybody's thinking of them all the time. So that's a different type of narcissism. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think, I don't think that's John, but and then, and then he does kind of feel the pressure of the world. And, you know, if he doesn't act, then maybe the world would just end. Maybe the, the White Walkers would take over. So that is kind of like a little narcissistic. But then at the same time, it could just be him accurately seeing the situation. And he really is one of the few people who knows that, um, you know, that the world could end or that the world could freeze over because of the White Walkers. And if he doesn't step up, maybe nobody else would. Like, that's really what we see in the show. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, so that's a, that's a really interesting point, and maybe he is showing some signs of narcissism, but then also uh, it could be that he's right in a sense, and that he kind of is at the center of the, of the world in in a sense. Right. Plus, you throw in the fact that he's romantically involved with his aunt, you know. So <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. just throw that into the mix. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think everybody in that show is in 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 relationships with with somebody that's related in some form. I mean, let's be fool, let's not fool ourselves, you know. Oh, <laughs> well, well, doctor, this has been very interesting. Very, Obviously, Jon yeah. Snow is a is a very cool character. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, doctor, as you always say, as I always say, uh, insert tagline here: seamless transition. Well, once again, Ernie, I gotta say. Um, it was another great episode with a good doctor. Um, he always has a blast doing it. We have a blast listening. I think we had some good conversation. Get you really thinking with those old noodle brains. Um, a lot of fun. But I want to tell everybody, stay safe out there. There's a lot of things going on. Technology is going to brighten our future, but it also is going to be something we've got to look out for, right? And we got to be careful of. So why don't we take everybody's mind and set it up as be safe now, be safe later. And hey, if we can keep home as the center of the life going forward, I would be very happy with that. Wouldn't you, Ernie? Oh my gosh. Yeah. If, if we could get, if, if after all this is over, like the, like the fear of contracting this virus, which is pretty serious, right? Mm-hmm. Once this is all subsided and we return back to the, to the world, I tell you what, if I had to work remote, I would work remote. If I had to stay home eight, ten hours a day, I'd be okay with doing that. And you know what? It would get me more in touch with, like, where I live. You know, mm-hmm. go for walks. Yep. Or, you know, once they lift the ban, I can go back to the beach and and have a new appreciation of that. You know, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think it would be great, honestly. I personally wouldn't mind this continuing. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. And the biggest thing is if you can get in the right place, you could actually start doing hobbies and having a life outside of the office. Yeah. It might just happen. You never it know. Might you yeah. never know. You never know. And of course, guys, stay nerdy as always. And yes. Ernie, just to make sure that everybody stays with a good social distancing, if you could give them a nice peace out. Peace out, everybody. We will talk to you guys next time. 
And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.